Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Dan and Nancy reside in the peaceful suburbs just outside of Portland, where they are living out their golden years. Their marriage spans over two decades and is seen as a pillar of the community. But when Dan is found dead in his classroom, Nancy finds herself at the center of a murder case that could be ripped from the pages of her novels. Binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com The bell of Buffalo's close-knit east side neighborhood disappears on a dark summer night. The loss of my sister, my best friend, I was devastated. You don't expect anything like this. But no one could have imagined Cynthia's frightful fate. The first thing that went through my mind, the discovery of the body in the cabinet, was that it was horrific. Police have to think outside the box to track down this crazed killer. He's the most dangerous type of predator. You would never, ever see it coming. Three suspects have detectives' full attention, and all live within a stone's throw of the victim's home sweet home. But this clever killer keeps everyone guessing. When all the leads dry up, it's so frustrating. It's like banging your head against the wall. The case hinges on a hidden clue that holds the key to cracking the case and locking up the killer. This monster will not be able to hurt anybody ever again. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Standing proudly at the headwaters of the mighty Niagara River, blue-collar Buffalo, New York, is known as the city of good neighbors. But its real claim to fame is a recipe that originated at the world-famous Anchor Bar, Buffalo's trademark chicken wings. You will immediately see the difference with a chicken wing here in Buffalo. It's huge, (laughs) bigger than anything you've seen in any other city. With so much to savor, it's no wonder 29-year-old Cynthia Epps proudly calls herself a Buffalo lifer. Born and bred on the city's east side, this mother of two makes a happy home in a cozy apartment. Best of all, she's just an earshot away from big sister Roxanne Cumberlander. We always lived 
close to each other, either around the block, up the street. We still remain very, very close. I love watching over her as the big sister does. Between Roxanne's loving care and the help of live-in boyfriend Carter Rayner, Cynthia raises two darling daughters from previous relationships, seven-year-old Deanna and one-year-old Adrian. Cynthia and her 31-year-old main squeeze, Carter, are a solid pair. And just a few months into their relationship, they can't keep their hands off one another. He was real nice, seemed to care about her, loved her. As the unofficial sweetheart of Buffalo's East Side, Cynthia uses her gold card status to earn cool cash as the best beautician on the block. Cynthia loved to do other people's hair in the neighborhood. That was her thing. French braiding, putting the beads on, that was one of her loves, doing hair. Cynthia's life seems as sweet as a trendy new hairstyle. But it turns out her good fortune is all just a tease. And her future is about to be cut short. Cynthia's sister, Roxanne, is enjoying a quiet breakfast on Thursday morning, June 30th, 1994, when Cynthia's honey, Carter Rayner, bursts in with troubling news. Cynthia's missing. Roxanne feels like she's been pushed over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Seems Cynthia went out for a walk the night before and never returned. Cynthia's boyfriend went out and he started looking for her. And as morning came, he was really, really upset and really worried. Carter tells Roxanne that he's already called police to report Cynthia missing. And they won't have to wait long before they learn what happened to the girl with the heart of gold. On the same early summer morning, Officer Henry Holt is peacefully patrolling the very part of the city on Lake Erie where he's lived all his life. I grew up in the east side of Buffalo. One of the things that I love the most about being an officer is just being able to help the citizens of the city that you grew up in. But the seasoned sleuth hopes no one will be needing his help today. And that's when the call comes in from dispatch. Resident James Fountain has found quite a surprise in his backyard, an abandoned cabinet. But stranger still is what's been stuffed inside, a human body. It is very unusual to get a call of a body being found in a cabinet. It definitely was weird to hear that call come out. When Officer Holt pulls up in front of a duplex on Montana Avenue, 911 caller James Fountain is waiting in the driveway. And despite his recent discovery, he's as cooperative as can be. He appeared very helpful. He answered all my questions and he didn't seem distressed at all. The good officer follows Fountain around back, where Fountain shows him the surprise delivery that arrived overnight. A small brown cabinet dumped in the middle of the lawn. Fountain's friend, Ted Bromine, is next to it. He'd come by that morning to help with some home renovations. When the two tried to move the junk cabinet out of the way, one of the doors popped open revealing its curious contents. I was able to see a blanket. It was green in color, and the blanket wasn't completely covering the body, so I was able to see what was wrapped inside. He spies a woman's head poking out from beneath the blanket. Is this the missing Cynthia Epps? 
I was disturbed at the fact that someone would stick a body in a cabinet. That was gruesome. With the blanket covering most of her body, Holt has no idea how the heck the woman was killed or who did her in. Why did the killer go to such great lengths to hide her body in the cabinet? And how did he drop it off so silently? James Fountain didn't wake once last night, even though his bedroom is just a stone's throw away. He did not hear anything or see anything through the night. Despite Fountain's hear-no-evil-see-no-evil routine, Officer Holt asks James and his friend to come by the station for further questioning. Meanwhile, maybe this dead woman herself will tell some tales. Officer Holt has already put a name to her face. She sure fits the description of Cynthia Epps. So Holt calls in Buffalo's big guns in homicide. Detective Charles Aronica has smoked out a bevy of bad guys in his day. He's rough, tough, and the best in the business. What I love about police work is the closure I could bring families and getting some of these criminals finally off the street and to pay their due. Aronica's 40 years on the force have made him the go-to guy for Buffalo's trickiest cases. But from what he's heard, this one may take the cake. Upon learning of the body, my impression was whoever had done this was a pretty sick person. It was horrific. By the time detectives make it to the crime scene and see for themselves, they're determined to find out who did this and why. Some clues may lie in the nightmare of how Cynthia spent her final minutes. She had stab wounds to her upper chest, and her head had been partially decapitated. Detectives have a feeling the killer carved up the body to squeeze the victim into her final resting place. There was very little blood, which led me to believe that the victim had already bled out and was wrapped after she was murdered. But who's to blame for this puzzling murder? Was it a crime of passion committed by someone Cynthia knew? Or a despicable deed done by a total stranger? The killer sure knew how to cover his tracks and exactly where to hide his gruesome handiwork. Where the uh, cabinet was located was towards the back of the yard next to a vacant lot. That lot was a cut through. The investigation was going to be challenging because of the traffic from drug addicts who used that cut through. Looks like detectives will have plenty of names for their suspect list. It was a whodunit. This was going to be a challenging case. But the biggest hurdle for detectives at the moment is helping to ease the pain of Cynthia's devastated big sister, Roxanne. It broke my heart. I was in grief. But more than anything, reality set in. I knew it was her. I knew this was real. Everyone's favorite doll has been tucked away for good. And detectives race to find the monster who murdered Cynthia. Their first stop is James Fountain, the guy guarding Ground Zero. Homicide detectives took a close look at James Fountain because he had discovered the body. 
did this neighborly carpenter ply his craft in the cruelest fashion? Or did someone even closer to home do Cynthia in? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Dan and Nancy reside in the peaceful suburbs just outside of Portland, where they are living out their golden years. Their marriage spans over two decades and is seen as a pillar of the community. But when Dan is found dead in his classroom, Nancy finds herself at the center of a murder case that could be ripped from the pages of her novels. Binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Nothing is more personal or specific than our health and well-being. So it's really weird to me that most weight loss plans are one size fits all. Noom, however, is different. Noom understands that every single person is unique, so they build personal plans to meet individual needs. I appreciate that Noom is designed this way, that it meets each person where they're at, and that its approach is based in psychology and biology. And not only that, this approach is grounded in science. Noom has published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about it. Noom also wants you to enjoy food so it doesn't restrict what you can eat or shame you for treating yourself. I actually overheard a conversation about Noom at my local cafe the other day. Both diners were talking about all these foods they've discovered that they really love thanks to recipes they found on the Noom app. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In the summer of 1994, a day after Cynthia Epps' gruesome murder, her killer's on the loose, and her neighbors on Buffalo's east side are in a panic. WKBW-TV reporter and Buffalo native Kyla Igo understands their concern. A lot of the people that are lifelong residents there wanted to know how someone could do something like this, why something like this happened in their community, and they really wanted answers from police. Good thing police have a possible suspect in their sights. The very man who called 911, dubious do-gooder, James Fountain, and his DIY friend, Ted Bromine, who was with him at the time. Detectives ask them both to stop by the station, hoping Fountain will start the information flowing. He was one of the few people to have been at the crime scene. Also, the close proximity of the body to his home made him a, a person of interest. Sure, Fountain led detectives to Cynthia's body, but was that just a cover-up? Did he or his pal have a hand in how she died? 
Before James and Ted make it in to answer these questions, the autopsy report lands on the detective's desk. And beneath the green blanket, the ME uncovers the sad story of Cynthia's last night. It was very gruesome. The victim suffered two stab wounds, one to the chest, one to the upper abdomen area. The chest wound was the cause of death. A sharp object had penetrated the chest and perforated her heart. While Cynthia is nude from the waist up, the lower half of her body is clothed only in maroon pants, different from the clothes her boyfriend said she was wearing the night she disappeared. And underneath, Cynthia's wearing nothing at all. Detectives felt that there could have been a sexual assault before the murder because of not having any uh, undergarments in. And Detective Veronica determines something else from the condition of her body. Her right leg is nearly cut in half, and yet her pants have no slash marks on them. Seems whoever did this knew a little something about covering his tracks. I believe that she was redressed because he wanted to get rid of her clothing. He did not want them discovered because his, he was worried about the evidence. Could James Fountain have had the chops to change Cynthia's clothes after he killed her just to pull off this cruel crime? That's when Veronica notices something else that seems to fit Fountain's skill set. We felt that the gaping wound to the uh, right leg and the wound to the neck were done post-mortem to secrete this body, to have it fit into this cabinet. Was James Fountain practicing carpentry on Cynthia? But his knife was too dull to finish the hack job. Hoping for more clues, technicians take samples of Cynthia's body fluids, even though in 1994, DNA isn't widely used. But for now, detectives will have to rely on good old-fashioned police work to solve this crime. Investigators looked into the uh, background of uh, Ted Bromine. He had an arrest record dating back to 1962. He had several arrests, some of them serious robbery, assault, resisting arrest. But when Bromine gets to the station, he says he's put the past behind him. He recounts what happened yesterday morning, telling detectives that when he came over to visit his friend, Fountain, James had something to show him. Ted Bromine said James told him that he had discovered what he described as a box in the backyard. When Bromine looks inside and sees a person, He's more surprised than a homeowner after an extreme makeover. He was shocked. He thought it was a drunk sleeping. He said that he yelled, wake up. wake up. When he got no response, he realized it was a body. But what Bromine tells police next is even more shocking. Bromine says it wasn't Fountain's idea to call 911. In fact, James seemed nervous about letting police snoop around his backyard. Ted Bromine told investigators that James wanted to leave, and Bromine talked him out of it because it might make them look like they committed the murder, and they should stay around and call the police. Did Fountain have something to do with the crime, or did Bromine? Is he trying to throw police off his trail with this tattling tale? More suspicious still, 
when detectives ask Bromine where he was the night Cynthia was killed, he comes up empty. Ted Bromine did not give detectives an alibi to his whereabouts the night before the body was discovered. Bromine sure looks suspicious, but police can't come up with any evidence linking him to the crime or to Cynthia Epps as friend or foe. I think they found Ted Bromine believable. Ted Bromine could not be eliminated as a suspect. Detectives put Bromine on the back burner for now and ask James Fountain to take his turn in the hot seat. And their second impression of James is the same as their first. This short, shy man with thick glasses sure doesn't seem like a cold-blooded killer. James Fountain was cooperative, gave detectives a statement, and answered all their questions. Fountain tells detectives he's a recent transplant to Buffalo. Maybe the new kid on the block tried to hook up with his pretty neighbor and got angry when she turned him down. James Fountain moved here around the time of the murder. He moved from New York to Buffalo to be near relatives. As for his whereabouts the night before the cabinet appeared in his yard, Fountain whips out an alibi faster than a carpenter unfurls a measuring tape. James told them that he had been at his sister's house the night before, that he had walked home, arrived around midnight, ate, and went to bed. Fountain's sis confirms he was with her till 12, but doesn't know where he went when he walked out her door. So it seems this carpenter's alibi falls a few inches short of a foot. Homicide detectives were unable to really establish his whereabouts between the hours of 12 and 9 a.m. There was a concern because there was approximately nine hours he could not substantiate. So, in theory, Fountain had time to kill Cynthia and report his find. But nothing else points to the helpful handyman's guilt. He even allows detectives to search his duplex, and they don't find anything suspicious. Fountain seems to have no record, and there's no evidence linking him to the crime. So police have to let the genial guy go. Homicide detectives found James Fountain believable. Investigators had to look at other avenues, but they kept him on the radar. With both Fountain and his protege on hold, detectives move on to other suspects. Police turn to the man Cynthia was closest with, her boyfriend, Carter Rayner. Homicide detectives took a good look at Carter Rayner because it was not unusual for a boyfriend to hurt his girlfriend or kill them. Carter Rayner was also the last person to see Cynthia before her murder. Maybe Cynthia's love life wasn't as picture-perfect as it seemed. Was there trouble in paradise for this blissful couple? Did sweet Cynthia's romance leave her with something far worse than a broken heart? It's a little-known fact that Buffalo, New York boasts one very famous former mayor, Grover Cleveland who was elected U.S. president twice. In Buffalo, Cleveland's mission was to clean up crime in the city. And two years after Cynthia Epps' murder, her sister, Roxanne, is wishing she could do the same. Knowing that Cynthia murderer was still on the street, I was afraid because you don't know who it is. 
You don't know if you're passing this person. Do they know you? I didn't want whoever it was to do something to somebody else's child. Detectives are doing their best to unravel this whodunit. They have their eye on the last person who laid eyes on Cynthia, her live-in beau, Carter Rayner. Though Roxanne swears Carter isn't their man. My sister's boyfriend really did care for my sister. He really did love my sister. I never thought Cynthia's boyfriend had anything to do with her murder. But any good detective knows that lovers can become fighters at the drop of a hat. One of the things investigators look at is persons that were close to the victim. But before police call in Cynthia's supposed soulmate, Detective Veronica dials up his favorite partner in crime fighting, Detective Lisa Redmond. Together, they've been known to play a suspect like two cats with a mouse. I've worked with Lisa Redman over the last few years. Detective Redman is soft-spoken, and suspects uh, open up to her. Detective Lisa Redman not only has a way with people, but also with solving crimes. She's been called a modern-day Nancy Drew. And this gal gumshoe has written the book on taking bad guys off Buffalo's streets. It isn't just a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a life path. I do this job not for a paycheck, but because I believe in the people of the city. Knowing Buffalo's not safe as long as this cold-hearted killer's on the prowl, Detective Redmond doesn't waste any time revving up to speed on Cynthia's case. What made this crime unique was the horrific way that she died. It made it stick out that this, is, this was a person that either had done it before or was definitely going to do it again. But detectives can't make any assumptions yet. They need to chat with Carter Rayner first. Could Cynthia's mild-mannered man have a hidden mean streak? Detectives invite Carter to the station for a heart-to-heart. And when they meet him face-to-face, he swears he adored his glamorous gal. He sure doesn't come off as a brutal killer. Carter Rayner was soft-spoken man, quiet unassuming. He appeared to love Cynthia. He was taking care of her. He was very upset upon learning that she had been killed. He had started uh, crying. And Cynthia's bawling boyfriend seems more than willing to help police. Carter Rayner was cooperative. He did not appear to be nervous. He answered all their questions. But when detectives asked Carter how he and Cynthia were getting along, his sob story takes a dark turn. Homicide detectives were also told by Carter Rayner that his relationship with Cynthia was rocky. And they argued quite a bit. Maybe that Thursday night, Carter wasn't too happy Cynthia stayed out past her bedtime and never phoned home. Carter Rayner told homicide detectives that at around 2 a.m. he went looking for her for a couple of hours. They were concerned because Carter could have found her and been angry with her. So detectives ask Carter if anyone he knew saw him trolling the streets late that night looking for his sweetie. And he says no, crushing his alibi. The fact that he, by his own admission, was gone out looking for her 
left a window of opportunity for him. They could not positively confirm where he had been that evening. With nothing solid to hold Carter, police have to throw him back, though they don't let him off the hook entirely. Carter Rayner was the last person to see her alive. Carter agrees to remain available if police need him, but it will be years before they contact him again. Cynthia Epps' murder mystery goes a marathon 16 years with no new plot twists or turns. But in 2010, detectives Aronica and Redmond get a tip worth waiting for and worthy of a Sherlock Holmes novel. We had learned from an attorney working out of the state attorney general's office that a serial rapist was about to be released from prison, and he was concerned that he would be committing more crimes when he was released, and he asked if we could look into any unsolved murders, female victims. Could there possibly be a link to Cynthia's case? After all, 34-year-old Mason Sanderson is a serial rapist, and Cynthia was sexually assaulted. But murder isn't among the crimes on Sanderson's rap sheet. Even though it didn't match the sex offender's M.O., due to the heinous nature of this crime, this was a case that definitely deserved a second look. Many a times, rapists, crimes escalate because they're not about sex. They're about control and anger. So detectives whip out Cynthia's case before Sanderson can finish his 12-year jail term. He raped eight women on Buffalo's east side right around the time of Cynthia's murder. Could Cynthia have been his ninth victim? Seems her case may have gotten a new lease on life. The Cole case is now hot again. Now we have a lead. Now we have something to follow up on. But can detectives match Sanderson to Cynthia fast enough to make his prison stripes spin and keep him in the slammer for good? Or has the real killer been on investigators' radar all along? In 2003, Buffalo was the backdrop for the movie Bruce Almighty in which actor Jim Carrey plays a reporter at Buffalo TV station, WKBW. And 16 years after the murder of Cynthia Epps, real-life KBW reporter Kyla Igo is following a mighty promising new suspect, a serial rapist who prowled Cynthia's neighborhood at the time she was killed, Mason Sanderson. After looking at someone like this that has such a long criminal history, you can only imagine that the wheels start to turn and you start to think, hey, is this the person responsible for this horrific murder? Could Cynthia have been another of eight-time rapist Mason Sanderson's victims? To answer that question, police have to link the pervert to her murder. And detectives just may have the evidence to do it thanks to a secret weapon they didn't have in 1994, DNA. There was no workable DNA at the time. The DNA technology that we use now, that gives us an advantage on these old cases. So the DNA collected all those years ago at Cynthia's autopsy is about to come in very handy. 
we're now able to submit that DNA for possible matches. It was very exciting. Detectives set about collecting DNA from the serial rapist and the three hot suspects who've been sitting on the shelf for the last 16 years. Cynthia's boyfriend, the neighbor who found Cynthia's body, and his sidekick who was with him at the time and has a record as long as his arm. We have to look at every single person in the file. We know it's a male. We just have to figure out who it is. Because rapist Mason Sanderson is in jail, detectives easily access his DNA. But it'll take the lab a while to process it and see if he's their man. Meanwhile, police turn to the ghosts from Cynthia's past. Suspects are older, they are different persons, and suspects live with guilt. And when approached and re-questioned, many of them confess. First up for a second interview is Cynthia's significant other, Carter Rayner. He is the person who was closest to her, and he was the last person that saw her alive. So it was imperative for us to either match that DNA to him or exclude him and get him out of the mix so we could go after the real killer. Detectives quickly track down Carter Rayner, who's still in town. And he's more than willing to come in for a little rendezvous. He was cooperative. He did not seem concerned. No red flags. But even though Cynthia's sweetie stays true to his tale, police still ask Carter Rayner for a parting gift. We did get a swab of DNA from Cynthia's boyfriend at the time, and we did send it to the CPS lab here in Erie County. And it's being matched against all the other samples. So at this point, we still haven't eliminated the boyfriend. While police wait to hear from the lab, they track down the guy who first discovered Cynthia's body right in his very own backyard. And what detectives uncover in his record is shocking. Seems the crafty carpenter has built up quite a resume in the years since Cynthia's murder, and the M.O. sounds eerily familiar. He had a lengthy, violent arrest record dating back to 1977. He had been arrested numerous times for sexual attacks on women. Detectives find Fountain cooling his heels in a prison in Marcy, New York. The one lucky break we got in the case was that he wasn't hard to find. He was about three hours down the throughway. And as guilty as Fountain sounds, before detectives pay him a visit, they nab a little of his DNA. Since James is in prison, it's on file. So police request a match from the lab. We needed to find out if his DNA matched the DNA on Cynthia Epps. And we basically had to wait and see if the match hit. Meanwhile, detectives reel in another fish they have on the line, Ted Bromine, James Fountain's friend, the first guy to look inside the cabinet and find Cynthia's body. Bromine sports an impressive arrest record of his own, including robbery and assault. Has he managed to hide Cynthia Epps' murder from police all these years? Or if Fountain was the killer, maybe Bromine's ready to sell him down the Niagara River now. As people age, they change. You know, allegiance, they're not always there with witnesses. They were not cooperating at the time. Now there's no allegiance 20 years later. But when police find Bromine is still living in Buffalo and call him at home, his sister answers. 
she's surprised to hear from detectives after all these years. And what she tells them is a shocker. She says Ted won't be talking to police anytime soon. The reason? He's suffering from Alzheimer's disease and has severe memory lapse. We were disappointed we cannot interview Ted Bromang. We definitely wanted to talk to him again, but we're unable to. Is there some secret locked in Ted's forgotten past? Or is his family covering for him? There's no way to answer these questions without his DNA, and his family says that's off limits for now, too. It's times like these when Detective Veronica likes to just sit back and whine a little, so to speak. My love of wine started probably 20 years ago, and it's evolved over the years. As you get into the hobby of tasting wines, your taste change all the time. Guy, would you like a little more wine? Sure. See what you think. And while the macho world of police work may seem a better pairing with beer than wine, this connoisseur has learned that fine wine and a good suspect have a lot in common. During the course of my police career, I have dealt with all types of people and over the years discover that each person has their own personalities like wines do. Some wines are subtle in flavor, some are rich and bold, and uh, people are the same way. Back at work with no more suspects to sample, Detective Veronica makes one more attempt to get Ted Bromine's DNA, but he comes up dry. Maybe one of the trio will make a match and give detectives the last laugh in this sad story. The results are about to come back from the lab and reveal who slipped through their fingers so many years ago. After 16 years, Buffalo police have three hot suspects. In the cold case of Cynthia Epps' murder, a serial rapist, the victim's boyfriend, and the man who originally called 911. But while investigators wait on results from the lab, hoping for a DNA match, they do a little more digging into each man's past. And they find some shocking skeletons in 911 caller James Fountain's closet. We had learned in 1977, while living in Queens, New York, he had been convicted of a manslaughter. He served time, and he had several arrests for sex crimes. So I'm seeing all these crimes scrolling across the screen, and my jaw is literally dropping. But those convictions were all in New York City, more than four hours away from Buffalo. When Cynthia was murdered, Buffalo detectives didn't have access to those records. They do not have the computer systems that are available to us today to locate people and to look into their past. And as detectives do some more database diving, what they find makes them do a double take. Seems four months after Cynthia was discovered stuffed in a cabinet, Fountain had a disturbing case of deja vu. He lured a beautiful young woman back to his duplex, right in Cynthia's very own neighborhood. He had attempted to rape a woman. He had placed her in a box, locked her in a bathroom until he decided what he was going to do with her. Luckily, she managed to escape. 
He was ultimately arrested and convicted for that crime. So detectives are thinking Fountain's a shoe-in for Cynthia's murder. And when they get a call from the lab, it seems they're right on the money. We got a hit. They matched the DNA of James Fountain. I was very excited, but we still had some work to do. We had to place him with the victim, having sex with her. But as hopeful as detectives are that they finally have their man, they aren't doing a victory dance just yet. Just because you find DNA, you still have to build the case. How did it get there? Is there a rational explanation other than the crime? You have to answer all those questions before the case can go forward. So detectives Aronica and Redman make the three-hour drive up to Marcy, New York, where Fountain's doing time in a psychiatric ward for the state's worst sex offenders. By the time they arrive at the prison interview room, they have a plan. They'll keep the DNA hit in their back pocket while they double-team James Fountain, hoping he'll confess. I went over his statement with him, and he reiterated that he found the body, and he called the police, and that the chest had not been there the night before. And I showed him pictures, and he said he had never seen Cynthia Epps. He didn't murder Cynthia Epps. When Redmond presses Fountain harder, he continues to stand by his story. And we just let Fountain talk and just let him go, reiterating his lies, adding to his lies, because the more James Fountain talked, the deeper he dug the hole. And when Fountain finally runs dry and stops talking, Detective Aronica pulls the plug. When he was all done and finished with his denials, Charlie stepped in and put the DNA report right down in front of him. Said, James, you are not telling the truth. And that's when the true story finally starts to flow from Fountain. When we confronted him with his DNA inside of her body, he had no explanation for that. He had painted himself into a corner that he could not get out of. We kept on him. He eventually confessed. And he said, what's another 25 to life? On June 12, 2012, nearly 18 years after James Fountain called 911, he pleads guilty to second-degree manslaughter. Fountain is sentenced to 23 years to life without the possibility of parole. For Detective Aronica, the timing couldn't be better. James Fountain was indicted on my birthday, which made it very special. I was very excited. We had just solved a 1994 murder, and this monster can no longer hurt anybody again. And for Cynthia's family, it's a gift that's long overdue. When uh, James Fountain got sentenced, justice was served for Cynthia. We have closure, and that is the best thing in the world. Based on the evidence and Fountain's confession, this is what police believe happened that fateful Thursday in 1994. It all starts when Cynthia hugs her boyfriend Carter Rayner goodbye and goes out to get some air on a hot June night. According to Fountain, he had seen 
Cynthia on the street. He had approached her, and she came back to his apartment with him. The two had never met since Fountain was new to the neighborhood, but they struck up a conversation and decided to continue it at his place. But maybe Fountain wanted more than Cynthia wanted to give. He brought her there for one reason and one reason only, and that was to attack and, and murder her. Fountain stabs Cynthia to death and carries her to his bathtub where he tries to make her fit into a small cabinet. But his dull knife doesn't do the trick, so he redresses her, then wraps her in a green blanket and tucks her into the nightstand. So he put it in the backyard and hatched the plan for his friend to come over and just pretend that he had just seen the box. Fountain's plan fooled Ted and police for many years. But finally, James is off the streets for good. James Fountain is the scariest type of predator because he's the guy that lives across the street from you and helps you carry your groceries in your house. You don't see it coming. And for Cynthia's hometown, it survived another storm. And once again, the city of good neighbors lives up to its motto. I think the great thing about Buffalo is that we have a real resilience here. So even though we had this horrific crime, we're really trying to make sure that violence doesn't happen here. I don't think anyone will ever forget this case and forget about the person that Cynthia Epps was. Dan and Nancy reside in the peaceful suburbs just outside of Portland, where they are living out their golden years. Their marriage spans over two decades and is seen as a pillar of the community. But when Dan is found dead in his classroom, Nancy finds herself at the center of a murder case that could be ripped from the pages of her novels. Binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.